Part Four, Chapter Five of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Four, Chapter Five, Obombo's Rebellion. Late that same afternoon, the doctor returned to Chief Yam Yam's village, and with him he took the cormorant as well as Dab Dab and his animals. As he arrived at the little group of straw houses. He saw that there was some kind of a commotion going on. All the villagers were gathered about the chief's hut, speeches were being made, and everyone seemed in a great state of excitement. The old chief himself was standing at the door, and when he saw his friend the doctor approaching on the edge of the crowd, he signaled him to come into the hut. This the doctor did, and as soon as he was inside the chief closed the door and began to tell him what the trouble was. Great trials have overtaken me in my old age, O white man," said he. For fifty years I have been head of this tribe, respected, honored, and obeyed. Now my young son-in-law, Obombo, clamors to be made chief, and many of the people support him. Bread we have none, food of any kind is scanty, and Obombo tells the tribesmen that the fault is mine, that he, if he is made chief, will bring them luxury and prosperity. It is not that I am unwilling to give up the chieftaincy, but I know this young upstart who will take my place means to lead the people into war. What can he do by going to war? Can he fill the people's stomachs? In wars we have always lost. Our neighbors are large peoples, while we are the smallest tribe in all West Africa. So we have been robbed and robbed till now the mothers and children clamor at my door for bread. Alas, alas, that I should ever see this day!" The old chief sank into his chair as he ended and burst out weeping. The doctor went up and patted him on the shoulder. "'Chief Yam Yam,' said he, "'I think I have discovered something today which should make you and your people rich for the remainder of your lives. Go out now and address the tribespeople, promise them in my name, and remind them that I come recommended by King Koko. Promise them from me that if they will abide peaceably under your rule for another week, the country of Chief Yam Yam will be made famous for its riches and prosperity." Then the old chief opened the door and made a speech to the clamoring crowd outside. And when he had ended, Obombo, the son-in-law, got up and began another speech calling on the people to drive the old man out into the jungle. But before he had got halfway through, the crowd began to murmur to one another, Let us not listen to this forward young man. It is far better that we abide the white man's promise and see what comes. He is a man of deeds, not words. Did he not put the Amazons to flight with his magic mouse that lives in his pocket? Let us side with the white man and the venerable Yam Yam, who has ruled us with kindness for so long. Obombo would but lead us into war and bring us to greater poverty still. Soon hisses and groans broke out among the people, and picking up pebbles and mud, they began pelting Obombo so he could not go on with his speech. Finally he had to run for the jungle himself to escape the fury of the people. Then when the excitement had died down and the villagers had gone peacefully to their homes, the doctor told the old chief of the wealth that lay waiting for him in the oysters of the Harmattan rocks. 
and the cormorant agreed to oblige John Doolittle by getting a number of his relatives to do pearl fishing for these people who were so badly in need of money and food. And during the next week the doctor paddled the old chief to the rocks twice a day. A great number of oysters were fished up by the cormorants, and the pearls were sorted by the doctor, put in little boxes, and sent out to be sold. John Doolittle told the old chief to keep the matter a secret, and only to entrust the carrying to reliable men. And soon money began to pour into the country from the pearl-fishing business which the doctor had established, and the people were prosperous and had all the food they wanted. By the end of that week the doctor had indeed made good his promise. The country of Chief Yam Yam became famous all along the coast of West Africa as a wealthy state. But whenever money is made in large quantities and business is good, there strangers will always come seeking their fortune. And before long the little village that used to be so poor and insignificant was full of traders from the neighboring kingdoms, buying and selling in the crowded busy markets. And of course questions were soon asked as to how this country had suddenly got so rich. And although the chief had carried out the doctor's orders, and had only entrusted the secret of the fisheries to a few picked men, folks began to notice that canoes frequently came and went between the Harmattan rocks and the village of Chief Yam Yam. Then spies from those neighboring countries, who had always been robbing and warring upon this land, began to sneak around the rocks in canoes. And of course very soon the secret was out and the emir of El Bubu, who was one of the big powerful neighbors, called up his army and sent them off in war canoes to take possession of the Harmattan rocks. At the same time he made an attack upon the village, drove everybody out, and carrying off the doctor and the chief he threw them into prison in his own country. Then at last Yam Yam's people had no land left at all. And in the jungle, where the frightened villagers had fled to hide, Obambo made whispered speeches to little scattered groups of his father-in-law's people, telling them what fools they had been to trust the crazy white man, instead of listening to him who would have led them to greatness. Now when the emir of El Bubu had thrown the doctor into prison, he had refused to allow Dab-Dab, Jip, or Gub-Gub to go with him. Jip put up a fight and bit the emir in the leg but all he got for that was to be tied up on a short chain. The prison into which the doctor was thrown had no windows, and John Doolittle, although he had been in African prisons before, was very unhappy because he was extremely particular about having fresh air. And besides, his hands were firmly tied behind his back with strong rope. "'Dear me,' said he, while he was sitting miserably on the floor in the darkness, wondering what on earth he was going to do without any of his animals to help him. What a poor holiday I am spending, to be sure. But presently he heard something stirring in his pocket. And, to his great delight, the white mouse, who had been sleeping soundly, entirely forgotten by the doctor, ran out on his lap. "'Good luck!' cried John Doolittle. "'You're the very fellow I want.' Would you be so good as to run around behind my back and gnaw this beastly rope? It's hurting my wrists." "'Certainly,' said the white mouse, setting to work at once. "'Why is it so dark? 
I haven't slept into the night, have I? No, said the doctor. It's only about noon, I should say. But we're locked up. That stupid old emir of El Bubu made war on Yam Yam and threw me into jail. Bother it. I always seem to be getting into prison. The worst of it was he wouldn't let Jip or Dab Dab come with me. I'm particularly annoyed that I haven't got Dab Dab. I wish I knew some way I could get a message to her. Well, just wait until I have your hands free, said the white mouse. Then I'll see what can be done. There, I've bitten through one strand. Now wiggle your hands a bit and you can undo the whole rope. The doctor squirmed his arms and wrists, and presently his hands were free. Thank goodness I had you in my pocket, he said. That was a most uncomfortable position. I wonder what kind of a prison old Yam Yam got. This is the worst one I was ever in. In the meantime, the emir, celebrating victory in his palace, gave orders that the Harmattan rocks, which were now to be called the Royal El Bubu Pearl Fisheries, would henceforth be his exclusive private property, and no trespassing would be allowed. And he sent out six special men with orders to take over the islands and to bring all the pearls to him. Now the cormorants did not know that war had broken out, nor anything about the doctor's misfortune. And when the emir's men came and took the pearl oysters they had fished up, the birds supposed they were Yam-Yam's men, and let them have them. However, it happened luckily that this first load of oysters had only very small and almost worthless pearls in them. Jip and Dab-Dab were still plotting to find some way to reach the doctor, but there seemed to be nothing they could think of. Inside the prison the doctor was swinging his arms to get the stiffness out of them. "'You said something about a message you had for Dab-Dab, I think,' peeped the white mouse's voice from the darkness of the corner. "'Yes,' said the doctor, "'and a very urgent one. "'But I don't see how on earth I'm going to get it to her. "'This place is made of stone, and the door is frightfully thick. "'I noticed it as I came in.' "'Don't worry, doctor, I'll get it to her,' said the mouse. "'I've just found an old rat-hole over there in the corner.' I popped down it, and it goes under the wall and comes out by the root of the tree on the other side of the road from the prison. Oh, how splendid, cried the doctor. Give me the message, said the white mouse, and I'll hand it to Dab-Dab before you can say Jack Robinson. She's sitting in the tree where the hole comes out. Tell her, said the doctor, to fly over to the Harmattan rocks right away, and give the cormorant strict orders to stop all pearl fishing at once and he slipped down the rat-hole. Dab-Dab, as soon as she got the message, went straight off to the pearl fisheries and gave the doctor's instructions to the cormorants. She was only just in time, for the emir's six special men were about to land on the islands to get a second load of pearls. Dab-Dab and the cormorants swiftly threw back into the sea the oysters they had fished up, and when the emir's men arrived they found nothing. After hanging around a while they paddled back and told the emir that they could find no more pearl oysters on the rocks. He sent them out to look again, but they returned with the same report. Then the emir was puzzled and angry. If Yam-Yam could get pearls on the Harmattan rocks, why couldn't he? And one of his generals said that probably the white man had something to do with it, since it was he who had discovered and started the fisheries. 
So the emir ordered his hammock men and had himself carried to the doctor's prison. The door was unlocked, and the emir, going inside, said to the doctor, "'What monkey business have you done to my pearl fisheries, you white-faced villain?' "'They are not your pearl fisheries, you black-faced ruffian,' said the doctor. "'You stole them from poor old Yam-Yam. The pearls were fished for by diving birds, but the birds are honest and will work only for honest people. Why don't you have windows in your prisons? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Then the emir flew into a terrible passion. How dare you speak to me like that? I am the emir of El Bubu, he thundered. You're an unscrupulous scoundrel, said the doctor. I don't want to talk to you. If you don't make the birds work for me, I'll give orders that you get no food, said the emir. You shall be starved to death. I have told you, said the doctor, that I don't desire any further conversation with you. Not a single pearl shall you ever get from the Harmattan fisheries. And not a bite to eat shall you ever have till I do, the emir yelled. Then he turned to the prison guards, gave instructions that the doctor was not to be fed till further orders, and stalked out. The door slammed shut with a doleful clang, and after one decent breath of fresh air, the doctor was left in the darkness of his stuffy dungeon. End of Part 4, Chapter 5